Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 26 minutes to 9. Good morning. On Saturday night, our national rugby team, known as the Springboks, will play against New Zealand, known as the All Blacks, in the final of the Rugby World Cup. As you know, our team are the defending champions, and almost no matter where you look in many of the middle-class areas of our country, you'll see images of the Springboks. One of the main figures, of course, is Sia Khaleesi, the first black Springbok rugby captain to lead the side for a long period of time. Saturday night is important for many reasons. Some people see it as proof that South Africans from different parts of our society can work together, and as proof that when we do, we can be the best in the world. But not everyone sees it this way. Many people may still feel excluded from the Springboks. Some of this may be because of the history of the emblem and how it represented the whites only teams of apartheid. Or it may be because the Springboks are supposed to be of a symbol of our society and in fact don't really represent our society or all of it. It is this conversation that you'll hear this morning. First, a history of rugby and the national team. Professor Francois Cleopas is a professor of sports history and associate professor in the Division of Sports Science at the University of Stellenbosch. He's who's particularly researched sport history in marginalized communities. Then, a critic of the Springboks and how they are portrayed. Mark Fredericks is a sports critic, a sports and media critic, perhaps. And Tebe Ikalafeng is the founder and chairman of Brand Africa, about the brand of the Springboks. We start then with Professor Francois Cleopas. Professor Cleopas, good morning. Good morning. There's a sort of white legend of the Springboks, if I can call it that. It goes back to a teacher from Stellenbosch called Paul Roos, who captained a team to the UK in 1906. He was asked by journalists, what should we call this team? He said, call it the Springbokken. Is that legend correct? Is that where it started? Um, <laughs> yes and no. Um, uh, uh, he certainly was the first one to actually use that term. Um, I had a source year by me and unfortunately I now lost that source but I am in the process of trying to recover a certain uh, justice cure um, a so-called a so-called color band apparently told uh, Paul, Paul, Paul what's called Ruiz about his name Springbok and from there and from there the term uh, Springbok goes but um, remember in the Early 20th century, right up until about the 1950s, um, the Springbok was a very, very loose term. Um, just yesterday, I was sitting working in the library, and there was a, a cycling club in Natal, a black cycling, a black cycling club that was called the Springboks. So um, the term Springbok is a very, very loose term. And to understand the kind of problems we're having today, I think it's important to look at what happened in the 1990s. What kind of what kind of branding took place? What kind of changes took took place in the 1990s? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna come to that in a moment. Um, there seems to have been a change from what you talk about the sort of loose association to the 1960s through to the 1980s. Um, and the Springboks becoming a kind of symbol of white South Africa. Yes. Yes. So, um, as I said, it was a very, very loose term. I think it was in 1957 or so when Danny uh, started to patent the Springbok symbol. Um, and, from then, and from then onwards, it became a much more uh, white associated symbol. 
but like I said, um, there were black teams using that term Springbok. The uh, South African Athletic Board, they had the Springbok symbol as part of their uh, badge when they were formed in 1946. So, so things really started to happen here in, 19, in 1956 onwards, and then, of course, also here in the 1990s. In the 1960s through to the 1980s, to the international community, the Springboks were a symbol of white South Africa. And tours by this team literally divided uh, communities in the UK, particularly in New Zealand. What did the Springboks symbolize then? Um, look, during the head period, uh, especially after, I think it was 1957, I'm, I'm not sure, but... Um, the Springbok became associated with white supremacy. Uh, Danny Craven is on paper as saying that the Springboks is for the white man and the Leopards is for the black man. So, so the Springbok does have a legacy of white, sup- of white supremacy, yes. And again, like I say, we need to look at what happened in the 1990s. How did uh, white society endeavor to preserve that uh, idea of white supremacy. Okay, during this time, and this is a very strange question to ask, but this white team, so I'm talking about the sort of 1980s team, was there support from black and colored communities? I would presume there wouldn't be. Um, look, um, in 1970, so the government came out with this multinational policy a very strange policy and so there were some kind of black support for this white teams um, apparently to Errol Tobias told Nelson Mandela about his experience and Nelson Mandela told him when he was in prison he could see these changes happening because Errol Tobias is wearing the Springbok jersey uh, but by and large, under the South African Council of Sport, SACOS, um, uh, black people did not support this uh, springbok. Errol Tobias was a, a coloured uh, player, played fly half, I think, in 1981 for the Springboks. A very controversial, I think he was the first, but I think there were others that came after. A lot changed, okay, to the 1990s now. I'm sorry to try and stick to the chronological order, but I think we're, we're here where you really want to talk now, Professor Cleopas. In the 1990s, what do you believe happened there that may have led to problems? Well, on the first hand, I must say one, well, I'm just speaking for myself. I don't actually know because these things happen behind behind shut doors. But what what one could observe what happened was that uh, cricket and soccer done away with a springbok symbol. Rugby rugby maintained that springbok symbol, and a host of other things also went along with that. Big capital flew in. Um, if the team was entirely black, the capital and the wealth still it still remained in the same people's hands. So the springbok the springbok symbol in a sense did not actually change in in meaning for people. It changed in the way it looked and it changed in size. Yes, but what it actually represented. 
in the 1960s and the 1950s, it is still the same as what it does in 2023. Many people would immediately say, is that despite the fact that there's a black captain? Yes. Um, look, also, one mustn't also jump to the idea that Sia Kondishi is the first black captain. During the days of Sakos, and remember the last time when we spoke, you weren't too sure who Sakos was. But um, before Sakos, there was Sakos, the African Council on Sport. And there were many black captains of the rugby national teams. So the entire team can be, can be black. But if the meaning of the springbok and the springbok symbol is not changed, I think will change. Professor Francois Clearpass, thank you. Associate Professor in the Division of Sports Science at the University of Stellenbosch. 17 minutes now to nine. The time we continue your mediated conversation around the Springbok emblem. Mark Fredericks is a sports and media critic. Mark, good morning. Good morning. You're very critical of the Springbok, and I don't think you mean the people in the team. I think you mean something else. Why do you not buy the hype? Uh, good morning. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, I don't buy the hype because uh, I'm not held captive by the shadows on the wall. You know, I, I know the difference between a ce- celebrity and a hero. Uh, Professor Cleopas made reference now to Sakos. And Sakos was the body that fought against apartheid. And South African rugby has not uh, nominated a single rugby player from the old Saru, which was established in the 1960s, to the World Rugby Hall of Fame. Not one, but all the so-called excluded uh, rugby heroes, Danny Gerber, Nas Boeta, Danny Craven, Barry Beetle, those guys have been nominated. And all of them have been nominated in the post-apartheid era. So I think in South Africa, uh, South Africans don't understand the role of sport in society. You know, they understand entertainment. They understand celebrity culture, but they don't understand what a hero is. Just look at uh, the guy you were speaking about now, Kolisi, the face of transformation. He was uh, the face of the lockdown as well. You know, he appeared on TV every night exercising in his home with his family and so on. Uh, and I was looking at him and I thought, this guy's seemingly oblivious of the cramped con- conditions of the majority of black South Africans. And then further to that, the South African government, when they deployed the army to enforce lockdown, they deployed the army only in black townships. But uh, what sum- surmises why I don't buy the hype and what is happening, on Saturday, coming Saturday, the Premier of the Northern Cape, uh, Dr. Zamani Saw is hosting a rugby park day in Kimberley at the A.R. Abbas Stadium. Who is A.R. Abbas? Who is Mr. A.R. Abbas? He's one of the founding fathers of SARU, South African Rugby Union. And he sacrificed so much for black communities. But he's unknown in South Africa. He's unknown even in SARU circles. They don't recognize him. He's never been nominated to the World Rugby Hall of Fame. And the oldest black club in the country, arguably the oldest black club in the country, from Kimberley, is denied access to the ground that this man, uh, you know, sort of founded. So, yeah, I don't buy into that. There's a feeling, I think, that the Springbok includes everyone. That's what gives it power. That as a South African, you should see yourself in the team. Do you think it's failing to do that? Um... 
Look, if you consider that only 23 guys on any match day can be a springbok uh, to represent the country, uh, you know, it's difficult to see yourself in the team. I don't see myself in the team. Uh, many South Africans buy into it. But the Springbok uses everyone to sell this idea because their, their media products even normalizes black poverty, uh, showcasing the civilizing power of the Springbok. You know, you, you just look at their television adverts. It seamlessly shows how Brian Abana or Jean de Villiers passes the ball to a township kid, you know, with a, with a commentary giving such an emotional or emotive soundtrack. It's actually quite fascinating to watch how the Springbok is used to show inclusivity while they are the arch beneficiaries of exclusion. And uh, South Africans love the Springboks. They don't love rugby. They only care about the Springboks. And uh, I think the brand, uh, the brand managers and the publicists and so on, that's exactly what they want. They want to brand South Africans with the imprint of the Springbok. Is there a bigger story here around sport, the commercial nature of it, or maybe I should call it the business of sport? I mean, does it lead to uh, this industry selling us a dream of South Africa rather than actually having us working towards a better reality of South Africa? Um, Look, the the Springboks are shoved down the throats of South Africans 24-7, more so during uh, World Cup years, you know, and millions of rands worth of uh, propaganda uh, is, is being produced to sell the box to the public. So I don't think that it has anything to do with creating a reality. It's rather the Springbok is used to shield people from reality because if you look between 1994 and 2022, over 590,000 South Africans have been murdered, you know, and this is despite the hype and the, the often touted phrase that Nelson Mandela avoided a bloodbath, you know. The global average for murder per 100,000 people is six, and our average per 100,000 South African world champions is 44. So so this order, if you look at our collapsed municipalities, our educational system, healthcare, joblessness, not even looking at rate figures and so on, are the reasons why even the most marginalized people uh, cling to the springbok as a type of uh, security blanket, you know, that that is all it protects them from is from facing reality. They, you know, so it's very important to bear in mind that uh, the visual and sloganeering cultures are totalitarian cultures. You know, it's in such cultures there's a blatant disregard for literacy, while the iconography and the catchphrases are what is repeated ad nauseum. Does it matter? Is it a bad thing? Ah. Uh, I think it does matter, but I don't know if uh, I don't know if uh, it's going to do anything. You know, I I don't believe. Uh, you know, if you look at our sport, has been used to distract South Africans. Uh, let, let me put it this way: uh, the polit- the political elite in this country has failed us. Uh, we they have, they used sport in order to distract South Africans while they signed ISPS deals, IMF deals, and sold off the country. You know, the failures that we're having sport uh, is more socio historical. You know, because all, look, all the black competitions disappeared. All the sporting cultures in black communities have disappeared, and now we have Sia Kulisi. Uh, that's why Nick Mallet can go on TV and say. We have a great debt to, uh, to 
you know, oh, great get to Kodisi because he's introducing black people to rugby. Something like that, he said, just after the, the, the victory against England last week. Now, that is total poppycock, you know, but it's, it's uh, Kodisi gives them the ammunition to say that, you know. Uh, we have to look at who facilitated and negotiated this morass. Uh, we cannot expect uh, multimillionaire sports stars to get off their exercise bicycles, to pop down to non-existent township sports clubs to, to help out there, you know. So the same government, this, the same government. I mean, I listen to your show almost every morning, and there's lots of things you cover. But the same government that used 60 billion rand, if not more, of taxpayers' money to build stadiums for the 2010 World Cup, they gave Saru 33 million for the 2023 bid. This World Cup would, could have been held in South Africa. Thank God I wrote a petition. I'm not saying I had anything to do with it. But, I mean, they cannot even deliver basic services to citizens. So it does matter. It does matter because, yeah. Yeah. Mark Fredericks, we've heard you. Thank you very much indeed. Sports and media critic. In a moment, Tebe Ikalafeng, the founder and chair of Brand Africa, on how he sees the brand, the Springbok, nine minutes now to nine. Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Continue your Mediated Conversation this morning around the Springbok brand. Now, you've heard very strong critiques of it from our previous two guests. Tebe Ikalafeng is the founder and chair of Brand Africa. Tebe, good morning. Good morning, Stephen. What do you believe the Springbok represents? How do you see that brand? Well, I think this, uh, for, for me, the way I look at it, it represents um, uh, the excellence that we as a country can aspire to. Uh, because it's the embodiment of, 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 of the brand of South Africa, which speaks to resilience, ability, and, and, and winning spirit, because that's who we are. And that also what it does, it also speaks to the ability to unite. Because if you think for all the way from 1995, in 1995, it was, I think, almost all white. I mean, extra, other than uh, Chester Williams, it was an all white team in a new transforming country. And at time it managed to galvanize the country uh, to speak to a winning nation that is at the beginning of a transformation. And then you look 12 years later and 12 years later how the team has transformed in many ways. But the one thing that has not changed about the Springbok is that winning spirit. It's that winning mentality, that resilient mentality. If you look at the last two games, it speaks to that never give up spirit. Where we are as a country right now, the challenges that we are facing, we need that type of spirit to and to, to be part of the, of the, of the DNA of South Africa. It is part of the DNA, but one that should imbue every single thing that we do in this country. So, I mean, all of that's true, but there are still problems with it. I mean, if you listen to our previous two guests, I mean, the question would be, you know, does it really represent the country? Does it really represent all of us? Tebe, don't get me wrong, I want to agree with you, but I think there are questions we should ask. Of course, but um, I've of course, I'm not saying that uh, as you see the team as it's as it stands. I'm not saying that it is actually 100% a representation of South Africa. But I'm talking about the aspects of it, the values uh, or, or, or that are in, embedded in the in, in the team, in the team leadership at least, or the team performance. That's what I'm speaking about, and that's what we need to focus our energies on. Uh, you follow what I mean, uh, uh, Stephen? Um, brands like this, tip- uh, and I mean, so yeah. that's so that's. Uh, uh, no, I thought I'd lost you. I think to me that's what I, I, I want to focus my energies on. Are there challenges? Of course, there are challenges everywhere. You could go to Bafana Fafana and say there's only one white player, or something like. That. You can go to uh, to, to cricket and say there's only uh, uh, three Indian players. So that's that's bigger challenge of South Africa uh, about about transformation, about integration, about all those. But what we and the, I mean, the one point I disagree with him, the one major point I disagree with the previous speaker, he was talking. About 
about how uh, about sport washing, I guess, in, in a way. It says about uh, governments use uh, 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 sports to distract us. Well, if governments are using uh, sport performance to distract us, then Bafana would be winning, Kaza Chiefs would be winning, uh, the cricket would be winning all the time. It's, 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 not, it's not true. I don't even think, matter of fact, I, I think the Springbok is one of the least interfered in, in uh, 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 sporting federation where a government is, is, has got anything to say. Uh, where, where, the, where there is a government that's got to, to say anything, you've seen some of the challenges. Um, brands like this are not just about our brains, they're about our hearts, they're about how we feel as a South African. And that's what gives them so much power. That's why advertisers spend so much money on them. Um, I suppose the question would then be, how should the Springbok make us feel as a South African? The same would go for Bafana and the Proteas, obviously. How should they make us feel as a South African? Well, well I, was not, uh, I was not in France uh, this past weekend. I was in Johannesburg in a bar owned by, two, by three young black kids under the age of 35. It was 99.9% uh, all black, and they were all delirious. They were all in the edge of their seat because they could identify with the team. They could identify with what the team means and represents uh, a tool or about South Africa, what it says about the ability of South Africa to win, to triumph. And I think what the Spronbox, uh, uh, what, what all that the Spronbox can do they could they could keep working on 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 trying to be more and more uh, look like the country that they come from. But I think in many ways um, uh, the one the one part where they where, where, which they represent about the country is that winning culture of the country. And I do like what they're trying to say where they are stronger together uh, our, our narrative, the stronger together mantra, uh, because they know that if we all come together as a country, forget as a sporting team, we will be able to overcome some of the greatest challenges that we face about inequality, about poverty, and about jobs in the country. That's what we need. We need that type of spirit uh, to move the country forward. So, Tebe, I mean, there's so many different things to this. I mean, yes, okay, maybe we win on Saturday night, maybe we don't. If we do, we're all going to feel great on Saturday night. It'll be nice to be South African, um, that our sort of hearts will be pounding, our brains not so much. We'll still wake up on Sunday morning exactly where we were on Saturday morning. Nothing will have changed. Unfortunately, what we should be doing as a country, what we should be insisting on as a country, we should be insisting on looking at pockets of excellence and taking that excellence and replicating it in many aspects of our country, whether not just in sports, and ask ourselves, can we take the same uh, excellence that we see in some businesses, the same excellence that we see in some sporting federations like uh, rugby, and try and apply that to government, try and apply that to schools, try and apply that to everyday life. The problem that we have as South Africans, as South Africa, is we just don't build on this on on these good stories. We are uh, we and the same the same way that we focus on negative stories just for one minute. The following day we're back to normal. The same way even even positive stories delirious uh, for one day. Then the following day we forget them. What we need to be doing is building on these excellences, building on these successes, and using them as a benchmark, as a playbook on how to win. Tebe Kalafeng, thank you, founder and chair of Brand Africa. My thanks also to the sports and media critic Mark Fredrickson starting us off today. Professor Francois Clearpass from the Department of Sports Science at the University of Stellenbosch. Well, I hope you found that interesting. I learned things as part of that conversation. We